Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brad. In this episode, we're discussing SST86, the Gone album, Gone 2, but never too gone. Really looking forward to getting into Gone again. It's a different sounding Gone than the first uh, record by them that we looked at several episodes ago. And we've got a special guest, Brant. Yeah, Andrew Weiss is on the podcast today. That's a good one. Yeah. And he's a nice dude. Yeah, he's a great guy. We've had Andrew Weiss and Sim Kane. Yeah, only super one good. only one gone dude left to go. <laughs> <laughs> or two Rollins band. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We'll never get Henry though. Speaking of uh Sim and Andrew though, I'm gonna jump right into a spiel if I can. Go. So Hey, don't get too gonna... gone on the spiel though. <laughs> okay, I won't. I'm gonna I'm gonna refer to this throughout the episode if it makes sense when it comes up but the first thing i want to mention is this book that actually has a lot of references to gone and andrew and sim in it it's called notice no slam dancing no stage diving no spikes an oral history of the legendary city gardens it's written by amy yates wolfling and steven deladovico um it's basically an oral history, as I said, of the city gardens. It mentions some of the stuff that Andrew speaks about in the interview as well, but there's some great quotes about the beginning of Gone and some thoughts from Andrew and Sim in there, and I'll try and whip those out when it makes sense during this episode. Cool, man. And it's a good book, and I'll tell you why. I really like it. Um, I read a lot of books, a lot of music books, and it takes a lot for a book to stand out. This one really stood out for me, actually. Uh, And it's been a long time since a book has stood out for me, because I read about a book every week, week and a half or so. Um, I really like this one, and a lot of oral histories kind of, they sound the same. This one I liked, though, because there'd be like some crazy story, and then they'd interview like you know, three different guys. Right. And they'd say like, you know, oh man, it was this crazy night, blah, blah, blah. This trailer got tipped over and got torched in the alley. And then the next guy would be like, the next guy will be like, that's not what happened. What happened was <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And uh, I really like how the authors would, it, it seems as though um, they would mention to everyone that they were interviewing, oh, you know, so-and-so said this happened at that gig. And um, then you have all these people kind of contradicting it. I also really like that it is um, somewhat organized by a, a particular gig. Like there will be um, a date. Like, for example, I'll, I'll maybe pull out a reference to this one at some point in the episode. There's a Black Flag Gone and Scorn Flakes gig brand Ooh. on April April 20th, 1986. And then they have like an oral history associated with that. Um, and it goes kind of by gig by gig. So that's a good one. Hmm. That's spiel number one. And that one will come back in a bit. Okay. Yeah, I was flipping uh, through the through that when I was at your place and it looked really good. Lots of cool anecdotes. Oh, yeah, totally. What else did I want to mention? Oh, I got a one of the 2019 Record Store Day records that I've been trying to get for a while. I finally picked it up. It's a single by uh, a group called Ocampo, Ocampo and Watt brand. Mm. Do you know what that is? No, I don't. So that's, uh, it's obviously Mike Watt, but it also has Devin Ocampo. 
and uh, I don't know if you remember who he is. He's the guy from The Effects. Okay, yep. And um, Faircat and all those other bands. And it sounds like that guy's guitar playing, singing with Mike Watt on bass. It's a good single. Hmm. I didn't really... I didn't really research it too much, but on drums is someone named Renata Ocampo, and I only assume she's married to Devin or maybe a sister or something like that. No um, relation, yeah. actually. What's that? They're no, it's no relation, actually. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sheer coincidence, Ryan. Yeah, right. Jerk. Um, <laughs> and uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention in... My spiel, Brant, is uh, did you know it's time to buy a futon? Is it? It's time to buy a futon. It's time, time, time. <laughs> there's a new uh, there's a new live SNFU album coming out. Did oh. you see that? No, I didn't. Yeah, it's coming out on Artifact Records. Oh, so That's... I am going to guess that it's not current SNFU. No, it's from the last of the big time suspenders tour. Oh, that's good. This is good news then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, they just released it, and it's up for pre-order. So it's, it's you know, my ceiling knows how I'm feeling. It's time to buy a futon. Everything. I'm super pumped to get this one because that's yeah. a great era of the band, and yeah. uh, they're so good live. As in a few. Um, and especially, I mean, they were good every time I saw them. I haven't seen them in like 10 years, but every, the last time I saw them was when, um, the last Belky brother was in the band. It was the, uh, meantime and in between time tour is the last time I saw them and they were still killer yeah. every time I've seen them. And, um, this era, 1991 or 1992 is the first time I ever saw them. So, um, I'm super pumped to get some new SNFU. Yeah, I'll be scooping that up for sure. Hey, since we're talking about Canadian punk rock, do you want to tell everyone the breaking news? Oh, that I had a Joey sighting today? Alert, alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Joe saw... Joe Keithley sighting. Yeah. Uh, for, for, those who, uh, for those who have seen DOA, you can spot Joe Keithley from a mile away, and I definitely did today in this uh, little town in the mountains where they're on tour doing like their 40th anniversary tour. And I was in the car with my wife and I went, Hey, there's Joe Keithley. And she's like, what? And I went, that's Joe Keithley. DOA hoodie, everything. Right. Yeah. And she's like, how do you know that's Joe Keithley? And I go, I know Joe Keithley from a mile away. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, as we're driving out of the town, uh, I pulled up and snapped a picture and sent it to Brant. And there's like, do you even think Brant will know who that is? And I go, Oh, Brant will know who that is. <laughs> Right yeah. off the bat, yeah, it's the perfect, perfect uh, stride <laughs> and gait and punch and everything, and uh, yeah, Keithley's sighting. The guy is still rocking. Love it. That's right up there with the time I saw King Buzzo walking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still jealous that you ran into uh, Jay Mascus in that hotel lobby mm -hmm. one day. That was, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. What do you got for the people, Brent? I have a review, Ryan, of the new St. Vitus album. What? Yeah. It finally yeah. came out. I love it, man. It's getting... kind. Of, I've read some good and some bad reviews. You know, a lot of people are like... Seemed... It's like... I've never understood this notion that you have to choose singers. Like, do you like Ozzy or Dio? Do you like 
Rollins or Keith? Like, why can't you like Johnson, Johnson or Scott? Yeah. Why can't you like Riegers and Wino? I don't know, man. Are people dissing like who's on the mic this time around? Uh, well, most of the reviews I've read have been good. My review is really good. So we've got, of course, Dave Chandler on guitar. Scott Riegers back on vocals. It's his first album since 1995 with the band. Uh, this guy, Henry Vas- Vasquez, is back on drums. He played on the last one they did with Wino in 2012, which was called Lily F65. And then Mark Adams, unfortunately, um, has Parkinson's disease. So they've got this guy, Pat Brudders, who was in Crowbar and uh, a later version of Down. He's their, their bass player this time. And I really like it, man. There's Pat Brudders plays with his fingers, and there's some really heavy bass riffs on this. It's got that classic Vitus sound. It sounds like an SST era Vitus album with the same guitar tone, super sparse, not a lot of overdubs. There's a few tracks, like there's a song called A Prelude 2 that almost sounds like Swans or something like that. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah, there's like this really creepy atmospheric type song called City Park that's got like this wind and this like these croaking frogs and stuff. But then there's some total like Vitus, future Vitus classics like Last Breath, uh, 12 Years in the Tombs, which is one of the one, or sorry, 12 Years in the Tomb, which is one of the ones that they kind of released before the album came out. Um, the, the opener is called Remains. Most of these are, are written by Dave Chandler. Um, and then the last track is called Useless, and it's super fast. It's like blazing hardcore. It's easily the fastest thing that, that Vitus has ever done. Yeah, that's odd for them to play so fast. Yeah. It's really good, though. I like it a lot. How's the production? Like, has the guitar got that, like, absolutely zero treble sound yeah. still? Yeah. But it sounds no way. It sounds like Saint Vitus, man. Well, that's cool. What did you pick it up on, CD or vinyl? Vinyl. Oh yeah. You know, I don't have this gone record on vinyl, and I'm not a vinyl snob. I try not to be a vinyl snob. Every now and then, there's something I need on vinyl, um, but I don't need it so much that I won't buy it on disc if I find it. And I'm the king of like cheap CDs. Yeah. And but I gotta admit. Listening to this Gone record this week on CD, I, I kind of felt like something was missing not having it on wax. I don't know. Yeah, I have it on CD too, and I can I can definitely dig that. I, I feel like if I would have had that moment where I flip over side one to side two, it, um, it would have kind of, the record would have hit me a bit differently. Yeah. I don't know. We'll yeah, see, well, e- even when I'm listening to something on CD or digitally, or if it's not a record that I, you know, pr- know previously from like, you know, having on cassette or something uh, where I really know what side one and side two is, I'll go back and, and look, you know, look it up so I can kind of get a, get an idea for what side one is and what side two is. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it really matters. Yeah, Sometimes. Let's go. Let's get gone. But not too gone. History Lesson, Part 1. 
it says on Discogs, it doesn't say this in, in my CD, I don't think, but it, it says it on Discogs that this was recorded in April of 86. I actually think it was maybe recorded in March, because if you look in Get In The Van, they were like nowhere near LA in April. But March is when they were back home playing all those shows around California, when, and that's also when they recorded the Painted Willie. Like the, I don't know. It's, it says right here, though, on the back, I thought, recorded at Total Access Redondo Beach, California, 486. What is that? January, February, March, April. Does it say it? It says 486. Oh, I must have missed it. Yeah, I, I don't see how that's possible if the date if the tour dates in the back of Get in the Van are right. I think it has to be 386. Yeah, it might be. Because if, if you look, like they played almost every day, you know, way far way far away yeah maybe at the end of march yeah maybe but you know march is when they did the the gig with painted willie that they recorded for the live at live in van nuys thing that's when they were kind of kicking around california yeah the vhs tape yeah coming on vhs i counted though in getting the van prior to this gone formed in whatever it was december of 85 right you know, Black Flag was off the road. They weren't doing anything since, I can't remember what it was, like September of 85 or something like that. I don't think Gone plays any shows until like probably the first show of the Black Flag tour, of the 86 tour. I counted, they play just with Gone, with Black Flag, going off of Get In The Van tour dates, 41 shows in January and February. And many of them are listed as two sets. So if... If you think that Gone is playing like in stores almost every day, I think they were yeah. e easily close to 80 shows by the time they recorded this album. Yeah, I think there's some uh, data on that in the this uh, in this book when we get to some quotes in terms oh, yeah. of how many shows they played. Definitely would have been like these songs would have been dialed in by the time they recorded it, you know? Oh, yeah. Unlike the first one, which was recorded... I believe, like, in December before they left on tour. Do you want me to hit you with some pre-gone stuff before we get into the interview? Is this Regressive Aid stuff? Yeah. Oh, I'm always up for Regressive Aid, man. I really like that album. So check it out. This is what Sim Kane said in this book. Again, this is an oral history of the legendary City Gardens. He says, we invented... Oh, sorry. He's talking about... Um, Oh, you said Sim Kane's name wrong, by the way. How did I say it? Oh, oh, Sim Kane. That's better. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so this is Sim Kane is referring to a show. That's the Dead Kennedys and the Sick Fucks, April 18, nineteen eighty one, and he goes, um, "It was an unbelievable show and so exciting to be at. It was before slam dancing became really violent." when it was more like roughhousing with your buddies. We invented the term regression at that show. We wanted to start a band so that we could get people to do the same thing we saw the crowd do that night. Hmm. That's apparently part of the origin of where the name Regressive Aid came from. He also mentions um, this Regressive Aid show. Might be the first Regressive Aid show, December 23rd, 1981. And this is Sim Kane again saying, I was going to high school with Andrew Weiss. 
He was playing guitar at the time, but we recruited him to play bass in the high school jazz band, and that's how we got to know each other. We would either skip school or go directly after school to Andrew's basement and play for hours. Andrew knew uh, regressive aid guitarist Billy Tucker through his older brother, and we all started hanging out. We were at a Dead Kennedys show, and it was absolute hysteria. It was at that show that the three of us decided to start a band so that we could play some parties and pick up chicks. Uh, <laughs> now, would this have been regressive 80s talking about, or are we talking about throbbing manhood? <laughs> no, this is this is uh, regressive AIDS still, apparently. <laughs> apparently. And then I'll just hit you with some scorn flakes here. No throbbing so manhood this, action, hey? No, not mentioned in this Damn book. It. Damn it. <laughs> Yeah, there is uh, there is some quotes from Sim and Andrew, and they're talking about there's another band that uh, they were in, and it's not Throbbing Manhood. I can't remember which one it is. Anyways, this is the Scornflakes one, and they're talking about uh, Flipper, the band Flipper, and Scornflakes like played with them apparently. And that would have Sim been Kane, a perfect pairing, by the way. Yeah, Sim Kane says we started Scornflakes because we loved Flipper. So we put together an improvisational slow punk band. We heard that Flipper was coming to the East Coast because they had a bunch of criminal court dates. So they, just, <laughs> so they decided to turn it into a tour. Just, it just get so out of happened, Dodge, eh? <laughs> yeah, just so happened that I knew the booking agent at all three shows in the area. I called each agent and said that we were opening for Flipper on the other two shows. It worked. We opened for Flipper on all three shows, and over the course of the three shows, they successfully stole most of our backline equipment and sold it for drugs. <laughs> oh, I got to get that book, man. Yeah, well, there's some there's some good stuff in here. Uh, the next two quotes maybe make sense after we uh, we hear from Andrew, though, because one is about how. Andrew kind of mentions it, though, about how Randy Now, the booking agent at uh, City Gardens, really made the Black Flag Gone connection right. for them. And then there's there's a great quote that I want to mention at the end about um, the end of Black Flag that I don't think we've uh, I don't think we've heard anything quite like this on Ooh. the show before. So I'll make sure to hit this one. Okay, let's let's throw it over to Andrew then. We're joined on the podcast today by Andrew Weiss. Andrew, thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Right, so we're talking about Gone, but I'm curious about how you got into playing bass. Did you you grew up around Trenton, New Jersey? Yeah, thereabouts. What influenced you to uh, to start playing an instrument? Oh, geez, you know, uh, always loved music. The Beatles, right? I grew up, you know, right when I was like three or four years old when those guys came stateside. So, you know, that was pretty big. Ed, Sul Ed Sullivan Show, all that. So, you know, that was probably what first got me to love music, you know, and then after that, just, you know, uh, everything else that was going on at the time. It was a pretty fertile time yeah. for music. Why um, bass? Obviously. Why bass? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you why bass, because uh, I was, um, I was actually started playing guitar, influenced by Jimmy Page probably more than anybody to do that. Okay. 
and when I was in high school, I went to uh, the leader of the jazz band and asked if they needed a guitar player. And he said, no, we already got one, but we need a bass player. <laughs> so, 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 so you picked player. it up from there. Was it, uh, <laughs> yeah. so this would have been like an upright acoustic bass? Uh, no, it was electric. Although I did, I did dabble with the, uh, with the upright in uh, playing with the orchestra in high school. Oh, okay. Um, bass seemed to be a pretty good fit for me, so it was it wasn't really uh, wasn't that hard of a move. Okay. When you're playing by this point, are you are you listening to a lot of jazz, or was it just because of the high school jazz band? Uh, no, I wasn't. I got it. You know, playing with the jazz band definitely opened me up to jazz. Uh, Sim. Yeah, uh, Sim Kane. He definitely turned me on to a lot of jazz. He was more into jazz than I was. Um, I think uh, I came more from a rock thing. He came more from a jazz thing, and we just kind of traded licks. You know, I think I turned him on to a lot of more rock music, and subsequently he turned me on to a bunch of jazz. What about funk? Funk. Uh, what about funk? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm just curious when the you know some of the more slapping and and stuff came into your into your playing. Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, funk, you know, as a bass player, obviously, you know, bass is pretty key for the for funk, and, and I don't know, I was just kind of attracted to it. I've always had a deep affinity for it. Okay. Um, love it, maybe more than anything. What point does punk rock play into the equation? Um, well, you know, we were, we were in high school, and... and that stuff was breaking, you know, and uh, it was kind of unavoidable. It was, but it was. Don't really know what to say about that. Just <laughs> tell me about uh, and Sims band Throbbing Manhood, because he t- he told me told me about that band, which is one of the the more amazing high school band names that I've heard. Yeah, you know, uh, that was just you know we would, uh, as I'm sure Sim probably told you if he mentioned that, um, you know, we would just come home after school and. And uh, go down to my basement, and we had a small setup there, and we would just uh, play whatever, you know. Some, some we were making up stuff, and you know, doing covers of punk rock songs, Aerosmith songs, whatever. Whatever, you know? yeah. Yeah, basically, me, Sim, and this guy named Stuart Fraser, who was a, an amazing guitar player. At least I remember him as such. All right. Many many years. <laughs> <laughs> and then at some point. You and Sim and another guitar player get Regressive Aid going. Yeah, that was uh, William Tucker. I'd also ha- I'd actually been in a band before with with Tucker and my brother on drums. Oh yeah, and another amazing guitar player named Ray Brower, who's absolutely who's a total savant. Actually, um, he was he was incredible, and we were doing that stuff was kind of more. Uh, straight up rock, you know, we were doing like sweet and okay. stuff like that. <laughs> James gang. <laughs> right on. So you get regressive aid going. And at some point, this is where my timeline gets a little fuzzy. At some point, Greg Ginn hears the regressive aid album. And Sim also tells us that you at one point tried out for black flag. Yeah. I mean, we had a, Local club promoter guy, Randy, Randy Now is his name, Randy Ellis. Okay. Um, he informed me that 
Black Flag was looking for a bass player, so I put together, you know, some stuff, the Regressive Aid stuff, some stuff I'd recorded at home, just a bunch of stuff. Yep. Mailed it out to Greg, and uh, surprisingly, I got a response from him. He said, asked me to come out and audition, which I did. So I went out to L.A., Redondo. Yep. Spent a couple days playing with those guys, um, and actually got the gig. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did get the gig, and then I... He's, Greg was like, okay, you know, we're going on tour in like, you know, four weeks or something. Go home, pack up your stuff, and uh, come back out. And then I went home, and a couple weeks later, I got a call from Greg. He was like, well, I've decided that I'd rather do this other band with you and, and Sim. Okay. So, and then they got, you know, Sal right. to play bass. Um, honestly, initially, I was, I was bummed, of course. Of course. In retrospect, uh... I wasn't really ready for that gig, yeah. you know, either emotionally or, you know, my playing. Yeah. Neither way was I ready for that. So, so it was actually turned out all for the better. It sounds like still the whole gone experience was still, whether you were ready or not, was a bit of a trial by fire. To hear Sim describe it, you guys flew out there, basically wrote two records and were on tour and an insane tour at that. That's true. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that changed my life. You know, Greg, you know, that was my big break. You know, I owe it, I owe, I owe, uh, infinite amounts of gravity, uh, gratitude to, and gravity to, uh, Greg, you <laughs> yeah. know, for, for that opportunity. And yeah, I mean, that year was, was crazy, you know, in terms of development, in terms of seeing the country. Cause you know, we didn't, we did, I don't know, 600 shows or something that year, but it was all in the States. We yeah. never left the States. It's pretty nuts. Um, it must have really, your playing must have just grown, like, by leaps and bounds that year, your personal playing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, can't say enough about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it also opened my mind to just uh, the the United States. I You know, I'd been around the States a bit, you know, like on family jaunts with my family, back in the day when I was a kid, but, you know, never, never to that extent where we were playing, you know, basically every single town in America and, and halfway in between every town. I had no idea that there was that many towns in America. <laughs> no doubt about it on that tour. You were, this was the life you wanted. You were going to keep doing it. Yeah. 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 It, it, ever since I started playing, it was always what I wanted to do. Okay. You recorded the first album, I believe in December of 85, Sim figured that maybe that the two of you had brought out some ideas with you and then Greg had some ideas and, and you kind of threw them all together. Is that kind of your re recollection of how the, the songs came together? Yeah, I mean, recollection is a little sketchy. Yeah. Feeling back that long ago, but that, that sounds probably right. You know, I listened to the records the other day. I hadn't heard them probably since we did them. Really? Yeah. And uh, it's, from listening to the music, I'd say that's probably that, that's that's probably how it went down. What were your thoughts on after listening to on them? listening to the records? Yeah. Oh, geez. You know, it was it was, it was interesting to hear to hear I, the 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 difference between the two records. I've I've found very interesting. Yeah. The Sonically, you, um, you know, I remember I remember recording them somewhat, but not in great detail. And maybe the 
the two experiences of recording those two albums uh, kind of blend into one yeah. at this point. Do you think you specifically held back songs for the second album, or would some of those have been songs that you wrote on the road? I really don't remember, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. It seems like they happened pretty close together. I believe the second one was recorded in April of 86. Yeah, that was probably on a break in the tour. Yeah. As an engineer yourself, what are, what are your thoughts on the the quality of the recordings, sonically? Well, they're... they're... I think Greg's uh, approach was interesting. Yeah. Maybe a little convoluted in some respects. I think that, uh, especially listening to the the second record, it seems like, you know, there's just like 12 tracks of guitars on every song or something, <laughs> you know? Which is something I think, I think the, you know, the, the records, you know, it's usually the case, but the records never even came close to capturing what we were live, you know? Yeah. And I think we with live, it was, you know, because it was just, you know, it wasn't a million tracks of guitar. It was just, right. So I think Greg's thing was more focused and a lot more powerful, I think. I don't think I've ever heard any live recordings of Gone, actually, but uh, I'm just going from what I remember, you know. Yeah, there's a few floating around. I hear some, a few bass over, overdubs as well on the, on the second album. Do you remember uh... doing any of that? I don't remember, actually. <laughs> it was a long time but ago. I believe you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so Gone basically tours for most of 86, and Sim's recollection is that you continued on for another three months after the end of the Black Flag tour. Yeah, I think we went up to, like, Thanksgiving. I don't know if you were thinking about the future at this point, but did you, did you think Gone was going to keep going? Uh, you know... When you're a kid, which we were, basically, you're very much in the day. I don't think you really think about the future a whole lot. Yeah. So it's just kind of taking it as it went. We were pretty toasted by the end of the. I bet those eleven months. That was that was a lot of lot of traveling, a lot of lot of gigs. Yeah. Well, you weed. <laughs> you must have recuperated fast because I think it was like maybe six months later, and you're back on the road with Rollins Band. Yeah, maybe even less. I think it was in the early spring that we got together. Yeah, that's to pretty pretty crazy. That. Yeah. And then non-stop touring roller coaster with Rollins Band, I'm, I'm sure, touring and recording. Yep, yep, that was pretty non-stop as well, yeah. Now, did you always have it in your mind that you wanted to work in a recording studio, or when did that become an interest of yours? That became an interest uh, way back in the day. In the regressive aid days, you know, we we had uh, we had gotten that was back in the early early days of like uh, the home four track thing. Right, we'd gotten this task cam thing, and we were messing around with that a lot, okay. doing a lot of recording. And then actually, the the second regressive aid album, we kind of recorded one side of it, anyways, uh, using that. You know, so that that kind of got me into the whole recording and engineering All right. producing thing. And that record was um, never released, right? That record was never released. That's a shame. <laughs> it is a shame. I don't yeah. know where it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a cassette somewhere, I'm sure. Maybe. Yeah. yeah probably on a real reel. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, that got lost in the sauce somewhere. I don't know where that is. So what did you do after Rollins Band? Were you, did you join another band at that point? I think... 
concurrent with Rollins band, I was, well, I started working with Ween. I wasn't playing with them because they were still a two piece at that point. Right. Um, but I was, you know, uh, producing their records and recording them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I also was started working with a band called pig face, Chicago label, Martin Atkins drummer from PIL and, uh, ministry and a bunch of other yeah. stuff. Um, uh, he hooked up with her Tucker, William Tucker, the guitar player in Regressive Aid, hooked up with Martin, and he was in Pig Face. He was like one of the key players in that band. Okay. So they brought me on at some point. I think I, I think I ran into Martin at some festival we were playing in Europe or something. He was like, oh, hey, you should come out. And a, Pig Face was very loose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was kind of like summer camp for musicians. Like everybody in Pig Face was in another band, you know. Right. They would like... Um, go and do pig face. It was, you know, it was like 10, 12 people. It was always fluctuating. Right. It was, it was a bunch of people and it was just kind of like this party that would spill off of the bus and onto the stage and then back onto the bus. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. It was, that was good fun. It was, uh, it was interesting for me because there was two bass players in that band. Okay. Paul Raven was the other bass player. He was the, bass player from Killing Joke. Right. And a number of other things. And he was kind of like the lockdown guy. Okay. And I got to, it would allow me to just kind of do whatever the fuck I wanted to, <laughs> which was, which was uh, liberating and fun. I bet. But it was also great. Uh, playing in that band was also great because I wasn't, we weren't playing to, uh, you know, I'd stand on stage and I wouldn't look out and just see a bunch of sweaty dudes, you know? Right. It was a much, it was a much more uh, well-rounded audience, which was more appealing to me now jumping around a bit you at one point played with jello biafra in the guantanamo school of medicine yeah that was way later that was that was up until maybe i don't know did that for like four or five years that ended maybe four or five years ago okay are you playing with anybody now no not not on a not you know just jamming but not you know nothing formal yeah you're not looking? I've never looked. I've always <laughs> been very lucky that, that people, you know, that I've always just kind of fallen into situations. Yeah. I wouldn't know how to look. <laughs> <laughs> so is your day-to-day, are you recording bands? Yeah, I'm always working on stuff. Putting the finishing touches right now on a record, uh band's called Windjammer. Okay. It's, it's uh, me on bass, my brother on drums and Mickey from Ween on guitar and oh. a couple other guests, but it's all uh, jamming, like improv jamming. Oh. Um, that we actually recorded a number of years ago, but I finally got around to to finishing it. So I'm, that, that should be done any day now. Oh, wow. I've been doing a lot of work the last year, last few years, actually, with a band called Ram. Okay. R-A-M. Yep. Metal band? No. Different band. Uh, they're from Haiti. Okay. From Port au Prince. Uh voodoo shit. And they're amazing. They're a great band. Uh yeah, so I've been producing and engineering and recording a lot of stuff for them over the past few years. What do you think you learned from going out on that tour? Like what was your takeaway from, from going on that tour, the the eighty six tour? Working with Greg was, was amazing. He you know, we would spend a lot of time in the van, obviously. 
and we spent a lot of time talking about music, you know, and, and some of his views on music um, impacted me greatly. Basically, in terms of not so much the technical aspect of music, but the conceptual side of music, you know, like right. um, like about integrity of, of, of what you're doing, you know, keeping it real um, about what you're saying with your music. And that's a, it's something I really kept with me. I, I owe Greg, I can't tell you how much I owe Greg for that. It's a sentiment I've heard from other people for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's he was really pretty, uh, I mean, obviously you can tell from listening to Black Flag, you know, they were pretty, you know, their integrity was pretty sound and he was, you know, transcended punk in the true punk sense and that he did whatever the fuck he wanted, you know? Yeah. And was often doing things counter to what was stylistic, you know, within the genre, you know? Yeah. But uh, but the things he taught me about integrity and 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 keeping it real and stuff were, were priceless. And I owe, I owe, I can't stress how much I owe him. There, there are things that have that I think about in in every project I'm working on, regardless of what kind of project it is. You know, it's really stuck with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pretty much in, in any you know when you're a producer, which I am. Yep. Uh, a lot of the time, I wear the producer hat. You know, it's all about. To me, that's, you know, there's a uh, a pyramid of sorts that, you know, when I'm working on the project and the top of the pyramid is, you know, like, what are, you, what are you trying to say and why are you trying to say it, you know? Right. And that's something that Greg taught me a lot about. So it's always, it's there in every single decision I make, basically, whether it's, you know, doing music of my own or, or you know, working with other bands, you know? So having that opportunity yeah. he gave me is was priceless. And I, I can't imagine where I'd be now if it wasn't for Greg. You know, probably working in a in a in a quick checker, uh, <laughs> something somewhere. You know, a Wawa, Seven <laughs> Eleven, <laughs> or tar, or tar, yeah. doing roofing work or something. I don't it, know. He just showed you what was possible if you put your nose to the grindstone, I guess. Yeah, not just that, but just, you know, about like, you know, he would, you know, we would often discuss uh, bands we were here on the radio or, or, you know, we'd be listening to tapes and we would discuss, you know, and his his focus was always like, you know, why are they saying what they're saying and do they mean it, you know? Right. It didn't really matter so much, you know, what the message was. What mattered most to him was the integrity of the message, whether they really believed it. Right. Or whether they were faking it, you know? There was no there was no room for posers <laughs> in, in in his view. And I and I agree with that totally. Yeah. I, I came to agree with that. I think maybe there made me it made me reassess a lot of a lot of the music I'd been into oh, yeah? uh, in my life. And and but at the same time it also made me, you know, love some of the stuff I was into more when I realized, you know, that it was in line with that psyche you know done with conviction yeah exactly right on andrew well thanks for taking the time to uh to talk to us today and really appreciate it thanks for having me it's been my pleasure right on great guy yeah he was super accommodating and really appreciate andrew being on the podcast it was a really big thrill he was a tough guy to track down but <laughs> <laughs> glad that we did yeah i was super 
I mean, we'll talk about it when we get into the album, but I was pretty pumped when I started to hear some distorted bass on this record. Finally. Oh yeah, I wrote that down too, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's Andrew White's for me. That's totally. exactly what I wrote down. Yeah. You always pick up some highlights from the uh, the interview, Brant. Yeah. What stuck with you? Uh, well, a few things. A, that he actually got the gig with Black Flag, which would have been super thrilling and then a total bummer to not get the gig. He kind of says, you know, something to the effect of, I don't feel like I would have been ready for that. He says the records don't even come close to capturing what we did live, which is, you know, probably true. It is. Yeah, yeah, it's probably true. He says they went up to U.S. Thanksgiving. I actually found posters for shows going as late as November 28th. So they were a band basically for a year. And, you know, after the the 86 tour, they played with some really cool bands. They played with Sonic Youth, Swa, Leaving Trains, Zoog's Rift, Saccharin Trust, Green River. That would have been cool. Yeah. There's a second Regressive Aid album. Yeah, that's exciting. Where is it? Yeah, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> really curious to hear this Windjammer thing he's got going with his brother and uh, Dean Ween. Are you a fan of Ween? Am I? You know, I've got some Ween albums. Uh, I'll probably reference this. Well, I'll just do it now. I've got this 33 and a third chocolate and cheese book. I buy, right. a, I buy a lot of these 33 and a third books. This is one of the better ones. That's probably their most well-known album. It is too, for right? sure. Yeah. I'm not a huge, huge Ween fan. Like there are diehard Ween fans out there, but I do like them and I see why people really like them. This has got Andrew Weiss all over it, this book, and it really, he is really like the third member of, of Ween. This book really goes into the recording process of the, of, that, of the Chocolate and Cheese album, and it was just insane how they did it. They were doing it all on ADAT tapes, and like the Ween guys <clears throat> before Chocolate and Cheese would just give Andrew like cassette tape, like shopping bags full of cassette tapes and just tell him, you know, make an album out of these basically. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I'm not going to really go into it too much, but if anybody is even remotely interested in Ween and you haven't read this chocolate and cheese book by Hank Steamer, the 33 and a third book, I would highly recommend it. The Ween album that I always kind of knew best for some reason is their country album. And yeah. I think it's because I used to work in a kitchen with a lot of guys that were huge Ween uh, fiends and I think it's because they also liked weed a lot <laughs> and they and they loved and played all the time that country ween album yeah I have that one it's alright probably my favorite part of this episode or this interview was when he was talking about the Gin work ethic and how much I, I think it's a really great example of the you know the trickle down effect of the the Greg Ginn work ethic and how many people he impacted with his his philosophy and his his work ethic. You you can see that you know Andrew Weiss has a as a, a recording studio called Zion House of Flesh, and he's applied what he took away from from Greg Ginn to his in his day to day work. Can I hit you with? Uh that other band that's in this book from Andrew Weiss, it's called the groceries. Oh yeah. That's the other one that's mentioned in here. 
He's credited to the Groceries, Regressive Aid, Rollins Band, and Scornflakes. Andrew mentioned, uh, well, a pretty good part of this in the interview. Can I get, hit you with a quote about the beginning of Gone and how that all went down? There's nothing about the groceries? No, there's nothing about them. It just mentions, you know, how it said, it'll say, like, you know, a person's name, and then it'll right. have, like, the... The, the parentheses and it'll say, you know, record store veteran or bouncer or right. regressive aid slash Rollins band. And sorry, that and was Sim or Andrew? It's Andrew who okay. apparently was in a band called the groceries, but okay. there's no real, no real discussion of them. I'm on it. Okay. Find out about the groceries. <laughs> Here's what uh, Sim Kane said. And Andrew mentioned uh, Randy now in the interview as well. And he says, uh, Sim Kane says, I knew Randy from going to the club. Nobody else was doing what he was doing. He was determined to get the Trenton scene off the ground. I owe a lot to him because Randy is the one who let Andrew know that Black Flag was looking for a bass player in 1985. Andrew sent Greg Ginn material. And then Greg contacted Andrew to see if Andrew and I were interested in starting a band. And that band was gone. None of that would have happened if not for Randy. And that's, that guy's name is Randy now. In our generation, we had such a healthy subculture, and we were very consolidated. And it seemed like it was something completely separate from adults. Um, and then the next quote about the beginning of Gone is uh, it from Sim Kane again. And he says, around 1985, Black Flag contacted Randy Now and told him that they were looking for a new bass player since Kira had split. Randy told Andrew. Andrew sent Greg a letter. Andrew told Greg that he was interested and would be on the next plane out. The short story is that Andrew, quote, didn't get the gig as mm. Flag's bass player, but Greg did tell Andrew that he was interested in starting a side project with the two of us. He said that he wanted to continue the regressive aid sound. I'm sure he'd disagree with that now in retrospect, but what he wanted was an instrumental guitar trio. Mind you, the way Billy Tucker, and that's the guy from Regressive Aid, played, and the way that Greg plays is radically different. Andrew called me and explained that Greg wanted to start a band with us, and he said, if you don't say yes, I'll kill you. <laughs> in, uh, in December of 85, I flew to L.A. We started rehearsing, and he had a similar work ethic. And, and what Sim is saying is that Greg had a similar worth work ethic as they did in regressive aid awesome uh, we drove up to san francisco to see the grateful dead i bullshit you not this was shocking to me i realized that whatever preconceived notions i had about black flag were wrong black flag never espoused any straight edge philosophy and a lot of marijuana and hallucinogens went down but there was very little alcohol and basically to be on a black flag tour you were there as a roadie. Black Flag had a massive amount of equipment because they wanted to be a self-contained unit so that no outside influences could mess with the show. We were hauling a lot of gear, and the fact that we got to play was a bonus. After I joined that tour, I lost 15 pounds, and we were all strapping young men. Everybody was looking good. I figured out that Gone played over 600 sets in 10 months in 1986. It was insane. I had open wounds on my hands. 
600 wow. sets in 10 months, man. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Talk about work ethic. Yeah, man. Now, what about this ending of Black Flag? Okay, you want to hear another quote then? Yeah, I want to hear that one. All right, That's here we go. That's the one I've been waiting for. So, um, and as I said, all of these kind of oral histories, they center on a particular gig. This is Circle Jerks and Rollins Band, April 26, 1987. And this is a spiel from Sim Kane again. So this would have been like one of the probably first Rollins Band shows. Yeah. Well, yeah, it talks, it's funny. Like this book talks about uh, some of the early Rollins Band shows, early uh, Sam Hain and Danzig shows, and about how like no one showed up, no. um, even, in, even in New Jersey. Um, so it's it's great. This book also has a lot of history in it about the uh, the New York hardcore scene. Um, but also a lot of history about skins, which is like not very, you know, not always very good. But um, it's, I don't know, like I said, it's got some really cool content in it. But here's the spiel about the end of Black Flag. And uh, I thought this was a good perspective. So Sim Kane says, Greg Ginn had a completely different aesthetic and take on life than anyone I've ever met. He's an incredible mind, but not a very good communicator. Henry Rowland had a very strong love and respect for Greg that I think Greg never understood. He saw conflict where there wasn't any. It was a tremendous misunderstanding. A lot of it hinged on recruiting the bass player of Black Flag after Kira left. Henry removed himself from the process because he thought it should be Greg's decision. Greg felt like Henry abandoned him when he had to slog through all the bass player auditions. And I don't think they ever had that conversation. Then Henry began his spoken word thing and the books, and he was dividing his interests. So in the end, they just had enough. When it ended, Henry was heartbroken. He was crushed. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, I've never heard the the theory about the bass player thing. Yeah, Obviously, you know, that's something maybe Sim... You know, heard Henry talk about maybe. Yeah, and then he says, or Greg, uh, Black Flag, maybe, maybe I don't know. I mean, how many bass players did they go through, like or, or audition? I suppose I don't know. Was so this, it really that is, many? This is when Kira left. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Andrew. <laughs> so one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> one. Still one. And and here's the end of the quote. Sim says, "Black Flag broke up, but Gone continued for a few months." By then, we were burned out. We all went home again. In the meantime, Henry had made a record with Chris Haskett and a British rhythm section, and he was getting ready to tour for it. It was actually on Joe Cole's recommendation that Henry called Andrew and me, and we were available. That's how we joined Rollins Band. Some people think there was some sort of political aspect to it, but there wasn't. I think Gone was was done anyways man like i'm pretty sure greg's plan was to end black flag and gone and work at sst yeah he probably just wanted to release just tons and tons of stuff right yeah which he did (laughs) let's start talking about the the music man history lesson part two all right let's not get too gone here yeah but let's uh do you want to go through the tracks well, I'll just say this one, it was recorded by Michael Boshears, 
same guy that did the last one, but this one was done at Hit City West as opposed to Total Access where the last one was done. So this one's, yeah, I don't know what it is. What, maybe I've got this weird copy, but it says recorded at Total Access hmm. right there. Do you have different info from somewhere? Let me grab my actual CD. Hold on. I can't find it right now. Where the hell did I put it? <laughs> Oh man! Here it is. This, is. this would be great if you listen to the wrong record again. <laughs> <laughs> Who did I do that? You did that once for a Minutemen record. It does say recorded at Total Access. Huh? Weird man. I don't know where I saw Hit City West. I might have saw that on Discogs. Yeah, it's possible that someone's got some wrong info, or maybe Hit City West is actually the right info. And whenever Greg scribbled this album cover he just put this on there and it's not right <laughs> maybe well i'm gonna say i'm gonna say that it is total access because it's all written by hand right it's part of the artwork yeah. it's not like something that was typed up later when they put it on cd you know well, no well i guess all i'm saying is that greg had a bunch of weed and maybe wrote down the wrong place could be <laughs> it's possible <laughs> hey I'm, I'm trying to help you out Okay, let's talk about the tracks, and while we do this, I'll be referencing this uh, blog that I found called realgonerocks.com. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with the band Gone, it's just a coincidence, but they do review this record on there, and I pulled a few quotes from it. Okay. Okay, track one, side one, Jungle Law. Um, Can I tell you what I thought when this one came on? Yeah, go. I said to myself... Is this freaky styly? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wrote slap, love the slap bass. Perfect way to open the album. I really like how Sim comes in like two measures early or whatever. Is that what yeah. they are? Measures? Like, uh, yeah, sure. I just count, right? Instead of coming in yeah. on the, after the four or after the eight, he comes in after six. And does like an extended rototom roll, which is just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this... I also like how this song near the end, um, Andrew s switches to like this descending bass line and it gets super intense. Yeah, this is the one he's got some bass overdubs on it and it so almost sounds like a sax at first to me. But I, I know what you mean in terms of like some weird, there's some weird bass sounds on this record. I like it for that. Yeah. Here's, um, Here's what I, it says on this blog, which, and I couldn't find a, a credit for the guy who wrote or the person who wrote the review. So sorry for not crediting it, but um, it says Kane's drums are the dominant force possessing a strong reverb as if they were recorded live. Beyond that, this number is extremely difficult to listen to. Gin's leads are ugly and Weiss's bass lines take fuzzy into new dimensions. Hmm. Track two, New Vengeance. This one features prominently on Reality 86th. This yeah, is, it's jazzy, man. Yeah, it's the, jazzy. This is the one where they're playing at, like, the university campus in that movie, Reality 86th. Right. This is a good example of Andrew talks in the interview about how they really stacked the guitars. Oh, yeah, there's to the, tons on this. To the album's detriment, in his opinion. Hmm. Yeah. This one's cool, though. I really like this song. It takes a minute to get going into the main riff, which is a really cool setup for me. Um, here's where it, what it says. 
on the blog, intro wanders into, into atonal, almost free, dra- free jazz territory again. Once they've got that out of their system and decided on a more solid direction, this number takes a swaggering rock approach. I, I really like this one. I wrote I wrote the, the guitar solo on this one is really Gin-esque. Oh yeah, there's tons of Gin-isms on this thing. Yeah. The Ginsinerator, man. The Ginnovations. <laughs> there was lots of Ginnovations. Yeah. <laughs> Track three is another favorite of mine, Unglued. Here's what it says on the, bl- the blog. Much tighter and faster could have easily been a Black Flag tune, which I agree with. It's moments like this where the full potential behind Gone is realized. This one, to me, sounded more like the first album. Yeah. Track four, Turned Over to Stone. Andrew's slapping is on point here, is what I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) The funk section, this is from the blog, the funk funk sections of the number are superb, but they're stylistically diminished by other factors creeping in. This is another standout for me. I really like this one. Track 5, Drop the Hat, is just four, 45 seconds long. There's a few tracks like that. This one's pretty unmemorable for me. Drop the Hat, when I heard this, I was like, woo, that sounds just like the 1980s. <laughs> just the production on it, the, sure. the, delay, the delay reverb and everything on drums. Track 6, Adams, another standout for me. I love the heavy riffing on this one. It's got a pretty gnarly solo Here's from the blog. A decent bit of garage punk with a slight metal influence. And I'm wondering, Ryan, if this is named for Mitch Burry? Hmm. Because he is from Adam's Mass, right? That's what Rollins always puts in on like his albums and stuff, dedicated to Mitch Burry from Adam's Mass. I he, wonder. And he was like the road manager or something on, on the 86 tour. Yeah, potentially. What, what caught my attention about this song is, uh, you know the uh the saying train wreck endings right yep this song sounded like a train wreck beginning to me (laughs) track seven time of entry this is another short one it's got those greg ginn chords in it it's just 40 seconds long yeah it's a little uh i don't know like a little transition piece almost yep flip it over and we've got another little transition transition piece it's just a minute long it's called left holding the bag Got more Greg Ginn chords going on that one. Slow, atmospheric sounding. Track two on side two, GTV. This one has some of the later uh, trademark Andrew Weiss fuzz bass. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what I That's what I was waiting for. It was great. Track three, Daisy Strut. A little bit of a cl- classic rock swing to it. Yeah, that was my note too. It's a swung out rocker. Yep. Track four, Cut Off. This is another short one, about a minute long. Track five, Put It There. Not really super memorable for me. I called it a strutter. A strutter? A strutter. Okay. But it was a bit of a strutter rock song. Track six, Utility Hole is the best name track on the album for me. <laughs> This one's totally improv, right? Yeah, that's what I put. Here's what it says on the blog. Absolutely void of a tune, almost certainly on purpose. Greg Ginn always loved pushing the extremes. Do you know who else likes to push the extremes? Greg Sage? 
Yeah, man. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice setup. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good one. I knew I could count on you. <laughs> Track seven. Yesterday is teacher. Apparently on the vinyl LP label, yesterday is spelt with a U instead of a E. This one's pretty jazzy. It's just another 40 second little ditty. Track 8, How Soon They Forget. The rhythm section is locked down on that one. Yeah, this one is a stand-up for me, actually. Track 15 is a stand-up for me. I, I stuck with it, and when this one hit, I was like, oh yeah, okay. I like it. And the last track, Cobra 18. And for me, I just put the album ends the way it begins, with kind of these weird bass overdubs. And I was wondering if that was intentional. Might have been. I mean, I wonder how much of this album was... I don't want to say... I, I don't want to suggest that it wasn't thought out, but this stuff was done really fast mm -hmm. and and put together in a few... Like this one and the first one in a number of sessions, right? And I wonder if when they went in and recorded, you know, in 1986, were they like, okay, this is going to be... The, these songs are going on gone to in this sequence or is this was it just kind of an explosion of creativity and then they put it together after the fact well i'm guessing the explosion of creativity happened while they were on the road right i guess hey like they were well-oiled road dogs by the time they recorded this one you know what i mean yeah yeah you're right so these would have been probably well worked out yeah which is probably why there's so many overdubs you know yeah. Well, when you listen to Gone Live, it's not that it sounds thin, but there are those moments where, you know, sometimes when you just have solo guitar with no rhythm guitar over bass, no matter how good the bass and rhythm section are, it can sound a little hollow from time to time. And that may be what they were getting at here with all the overdubs too. Yeah. This one's way better than the first one though. Well, I wouldn't say way better. I prefer it to the first one. Don't you? This record? Yeah. I don't know. My The thought I had in my head was that this one just sounded different, but I didn't really think of a preference. Um, what I didn't do, and I just didn't have time this week, was go back and listen to the first one back-to-back -back with this one. I really should. Yeah, this one and the first one are records that I I know fairly well. You know, I listen to them. You know, I don't. I didn't just listen to them for the pod. You know what I mean? Oh, I, well, I've heard this record a couple of times, but I definitely do not and have never known it as well as the first record. Yeah, and that's just that's just a fluke from when they entered my collection. Let's talk about the artwork, Ryan. It's done by Greg Ginn. It looks like it's you know was probably done on the road with some Jiffy markers or something. Yeah, I'd say so. I got out my I'd magnifying say, glass. You, can I hit you with some quotes? <laughs> like these, uh, the words that he threw down on the album art? Yeah. Yeah. Go go for it. I think I read them accurately. What occurred to me was, you know, I've got a few Raymond Pettibone records where Raymond is like playing some music on it. And when I listen to those, I go, man, Greg Ginn got the musical talent. And when I look at this, I go... When I look at this, I go, Raymond Pettibone got the artistic uh, 
you know, visual art talent for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it's brutal. But, it's pretty brutal yeah. cover art. Apparently, Greg was obsessed with people dancing, right? Here's some quotes. Stop changing, moving, dancing. Another one. All I owe you is another dance. Another one. Warning. Do not dance. <laughs> what about warning? Be the dance. Yeah. yeah there's lots of dance references. Um, here's some more. It says, this is the sequel to Let's Get Real Real Gone for a Change. Don't forget to get gone. Remember, who is paying you to do what? Who is being paid by whom to teach you what? If only the laws of the jungle were more defined, we could feel ourselves, or we could fool ourselves easier. That sounds like something the Duke might say. It's a little cons conspiracy theorist sounding. Do you think this, this one that I'm going to give you right now was a dig at Rollins? Don't tell me you don't have any words of your own when I listen to your mouth all night long. <laughs> yeah possibly like I was reading on Dave Markey's website um, wegotpowerfilms.com last week for the Painted Willy episode because there's a great thing called the Painted Willy experience on there and he talks about how he knew Black Flag was done for at the start of this tour like it was pretty clear Henry and Ginn were he, he says he didn't see them speak the entire time they drove in separate vehicles, came together on stage, and that was it, you know? Yeah. On the cover here, there's a tree with an apple growing out of it and an arrow pointing to it that says, pick it, but don't spit it out till you've chewed it. <laughs> it's kind of like never spiel before the meal. Speaking of which, did you, did you have your meal before this spiel? Oh, yeah, for sure, man. At, I at never spiel before my meal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> On the back, it says, in the absence of intimidation, creativity will flourish. And it's attributed to Greg Ginn. Stop sharing, dancing, laughing, feeling, unless you are feeling any pain. On the other hand, didn't anyone hear my rules? Reference to the Black Flag song. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, a thank you lift. Thanks, Chuck, for booking and management. Dave and Brian at Rat Sound for technical assistance beyond anything. Dave Clausen, that's Dave the driver, who was like their their driver, and I think did some live sound. All at SST for a super swell time, and Global, Nixon. And then there's a, it says call, and then there's a telephone number that you can't read. The phone number? Yeah. yeah. That's it, man. Yeah, there's not much else to it. Lots of music. Some uh, questionable artwork, but it's a good record. I think you like it way more than I do. Yeah. Um, just I'm just getting that sense. And I think it's, you know, because you're such a lifelong fan of Greg's guitar playing. I think it's a good record. It doesn't quite get me in the same way as the first one, but I think that that's just because the order in which I got them throughout my life. That's all. Yeah, let's do the ballot result. Ballot result. This one has to be all you. Oh, great. Because I thought you were going to advocate for uh, how soon they oh, forget. Uh, what? So if I was to say how soon they forget for the ballot result, then you'd go, oh, come on, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Don't, don't go with that one. Don't you want to go with this one? Yeah, and that's then what I'd, I do, yeah. <laughs> and then I'd cave, and so whatever, just pick one. Okay, well, I, my favorites are New Vengeance. Unglued, 
which I agree sounds like something off the first album. Adams, but I gotta go with Turn to Stone, man. It has a lot of twists and turns in it. And Andrew was our guest man, and the slopping on that album and the bass playing in general is insane. This blog that I keep referencing here, he calls uh, Kanan Weiss, he says, Kanan Weiss represent the core of the greatest Black Flag lineup that never was. Huh. Now, That's I love Bill Stevenson, man, but I also love Sim Kane. And like I said earlier, oh. I, I'm not going to pick. You don't have to pick. You can love it all. But these guys are a hell of a rhythm section, man. Oh, yeah. We've already, we've gushed a zillion times already, too, about how much we love the Rollins band and Sim and Andrew in Rollins band. I, and I, I, I like all phases of Rollins band actually too, but me too. Sim and Andrew, Sim and Andrew is the best era for me. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'm not sure that Rollins band would be as meaningful to me as it is without those Sim and Andrew records. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. Done. All right. That's a good gone record. Yeah, man. I'm really glad we didn't get too gone, though. <laughs> Phew, I was a little little worried about that. Hey, and thanks to Andrew for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Big thrill for us to have you on. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, what's next week? Next week is a first for us, another first. It's SST87, the Lawndale record, Beyond Barbecue. I've been really looking forward to getting into this one. Um I don't know it as well as I want to or that I've wanted to. So looking forward to the excuse to kind of do a deep dive into Lawndale. Yeah, me too, man. And Brant, we've got a special guest, don't we? Yeah, Rick Lawndale is going to be on the podcast next week. That's very cool. We're going to hear about Lawndale right from Lawndale. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.